0: And don't forget that you're never too far gone from where God wants to take you. You are loved, you are seen, and He wants to desperately know everything about you. I love you guys. Thanks for listening. Let's jump into this. I want to talk for a few minutes about leading our kids to Christ. I want to talk about baptism and communion and how we lead our families to all of these things and what I believe is the healthiest way to do this um so i want to share a little bit about thank you i want to share a little bit about how you lead your kids to christ and then the progression of baptism and communion and what is the right method for that and how do we how do we do this well because if we are you know bible believing you know jesus following parents then there's going to be a point in our parenting where we are going to have to bring our kids to the reality of what jesus has done and why it's really important in our lives And for some of you, even as I talk about this, you may even be surprised that you may not know all of these things, even as an adult who's like a a Jesus following person. So I want to share for a few minutes about how this worked in our lives and show you that you can do it. You don't have to be a, a preacher to lead your kids to Christ and you don't have to have it all perfect, but you can do this. So First of all, last night I went to take my littles to bed and I have a eight-year-old Grayson and a seven-year-old Beckham. And they two are, currently they're sharing a bed because I pushed the two twin beds together so that when we have guests over, they can all, you know, they can sleep there. And so I just didn't pull their beds apart. So every night when I go to put them to bed, I just climb in the middle of them and I put my arms around them and we have these conversations and somehow we always have great conversations when it's time to go to bed because that's when your kids remember everything they haven't shared with you. <laughs> and so I'm laying there in bed, you know, talking to them about their lives and, you know, what was their favorite thing today and what are the wish that they, you know, didn't happen and all these things. And at one point, um, Grayson says something like, um you know well you know jesus lives in our hearts or something about jesus and how he lives in our hearts or something he helps us and i said well grayson does jesus live in your heart and he goes well yeah and i said well did you have you asked him to live in your heart because he doesn't just come and live in our hearts we actually have to invite him to come do that and he goes no i've i've never done that and beckham said well i've never done that either and so instead of me just saying, okay, let's pray, I wanted to teach them a little bit of why this is important. So it's not just, I love God and he lives in my heart, but why it's important. And so I, you start off by asking your kids, like, hey boys, and this is what I do with Grayson, have you ever done anything wrong? And Grayson's like, well, have I killed anybody? I'm like, no, I mean like, Let's talk about like the Ten Commandments. Do you know any the Ten Commandments? He's like, oh, you shouldn't lie. Or one of them said like, you shouldn't kill. And I said, okay, yeah. So you may not have done any of that, right? Mommy's never killed anybody. You know, I've never had an adult adultery relationship. I don't know. I didn't say it that way, but that's what I was thinking. Um, adulterous relationship, that's how I say it. And um, I said, but you know, Jesus in the New Testament, he told us that even if we hate someone in our hearts or we've lied a little bit or we want what somebody else has, then that's sin. Have you ever done that? And Grayson, who's very methodical, says, well, yeah, I've lied. And yeah, I, I definitely have hated my brothers. <laughs> um, and Beckham goes, well, I, I've done that too. And I said, well, let me ask you something. Do you think that Jesus has any sin? Do you, I'm sorry, do you think God has any sin? And I said, do you think that God's totally perfect? And they said, well, yeah, God's perfect. I said, do you think that God's ever done anything wrong? And they're like, no. And again, this is part of our teaching. We've taught them this, but in general, the character of God, we're teaching them these things. And I said, well, if God is totally holy and perfect in nature, like he cannot be surrounded by any sin, he can't be surrounded by any darkness. He can't be surrounded by evil. That's not in the ecosystem of God. Like God doesn't, you can't live around God and have sin then how do you expect to get to heaven? And so they start to think for a minute. They're like, well, you know, well, I asked forgiveness. Well, yeah, I know you asked forgiveness, Grayson, but you have, you've done something sinful. So because you've done something sinful, you're now sinful, and now, how are you gonna live in heaven with God? God's totally perfect, and you are a sinful person. And they said, well, what, what do you mean? I said, well, and I'm telling my kids the truth. I said, boys, you deserve hell. They're like, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, sin lives in hell. Perfection lives in heaven. That's how it works. That's the ecosystem and like how we believe things. That's how we live." And I said, "Um, this is this is the dilemma that we're living in as like as Christians, which is like, "Hey, you deserve hell, and God is perfect living in heaven. How are you going to live there?" Well, I, I don't know, I guess I can't. That's right, boys, you can't live in heaven because you're sinful. And you have done things that are wrong and God can't have somebody around him that has done something wrong. That's not, it doesn't, you can't be in heaven. And Becca, for some reason, and I was shocked, I did not, I wasn't being dramatic or I wasn't, you know, I don't lead parenting by fear, that wasn't how I was doing it. But all of a sudden, Beckham began to cry. And he said, but I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to live in hell. And I said, I know. And I was just letting him sit with it for a minute because this is the point when they start to make this connection. I know this because I remember my dad leading me to Christ at Beckham's age. So I know that my kids aren't dumb. I know that my kids are... Are understanding what they can understand and that these decisions are critical even when they're little like it's still important and so instead of me just saying oh it's fine honey I want them to figure it out like okay what am I supposed to do I want them to live in that tension a little bit because if they don't have the tension then they don't get saved they don't get rescued they don't get God and so he's sitting here he begins to cry and Grayson's very concerned Beckham's crying and he's like I don't want to go to hell and I said honey I know, I don't want to go to hell either. <laughs> Nobody wants to go to hell. That's that's why we do what we do. I said, but sweetheart, Jesus, and this is where you bring it into the story of Christ. You guess what? You deserve hell, but guess what? Jesus came and died in your place so you can be in heaven forever. Well, Jesus did that? Yeah. Beckham and Grayson, Jesus died in your place so that you don't ever have to touch hell, be around hell, be around darkness. You get to be in heaven for eternity. Would you like to receive what Jesus did for you? And it was like a light went off in them. They're like, yes. How do I do that? Well, and this is the amazing part. Our kids will actually ask us, how do I do that? Which is exactly where you want it. Yeah, you do deserve hell. I love you. I know you're saying that and I know that makes you feel good. But the truth is, if you really are going to be a Christian and a Jesus follower, we have to teach the whole truth, not just the partial truth, which is we get the good stuff. The only reason the good stuff is good is because we know that we've been rescued and redeemed. Listen, that is true love. True love. True love compassion from God is the re- redemption of God the fact that he reached out and he pulled us out of darkness into light you know it's one thing to say hey come to my party but you weren't in a bad place it's another thing to say you were dying you had terminal illness and i gave you a bone marrow transplant that changes our whole life it's different to say Oh, you can just have a little bit, you know, you weren't that sick. You're fine. Just come on over. It's way different to believe that we were terminally ill, that we were dead in our sins, the Bible says. The Bible says that we are, we, we are, we fell short of the glory of God. We don't, we don't get to be in heaven. That's the truth. And I know the world doesn't teach this. I know the world doesn't like us to know this. I know that there's even a teaching out there that says, oh, heaven and hell aren't that real? Well, listen, that's I'm not concerned about hell. Hell isn't what I'm gonna have. But I'm concerned that when we water down what Christ did by saying hell wasn't a factor and that Jesus died for nothing, that's a mockery of the gospel. It's a mockery of what Jesus did. When we say hell's not really real, then we're basically saying, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, but we are sinful creatures. So we deserve hell because we are sinful creatures. And so that's how it works. And yes, sin deserves hell. We deserve hell because we are sinful creatures. I know what you're trying to say, but this is the connection. And oftentimes we get all mixed up about this and we're like, well, if I'm a good person, no, 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 listen, being good isn't being perfect. Being good isn't being perfect. I just love everybody. That's great. You can love everybody and still go to hell. I'm sorry. That's what the truth, this is why we preach the truth. Like. I can't tell my kids, be a good person and you get heaven. Because if I do that, then I'm belittling what Jesus did on the cross. I'm basically saying what Jesus did wasn't that powerful. Like what Jesus did on the cross, well, you know, it was a good moment. If my child had to die on your behalf, if my son was brutally killed on your behalf and you told me he didn't have to die or that it wasn't that big of a deal, or that you could be good and technically not receive what he did on the cross and still make it to heaven? Nope. No, I'm sorry. God would never, God is not cruel. God would not kill his only son so that we can kind of think I'll be good and make it to heaven and it didn't really matter. The, the cusp of the gospel, the main point of the gospel is that we needed a savior. That's the point. I don't know about you, but that actually res- like gives me hope. Rather than trying to figure it out and navigate, am I good enough, and have I given enough, and am I kind enough, and am I... Stop. That's all performance-based spirituality. But I don't have a performance-based spirituality. I have a Jesus-based spirituality, which is that Jesus did everything I could not. Jesus got up on that cross and died on my behalf. He but he bore the sin and the guilt and the shame of everything I did, the things that were done to me, the things that I did to others. He took all of that, all of that, put it on a cross and died that day on my behalf, on my place so that I could have eternity forever. So I'm not telling my kids all of that, but I'm explaining to them that without Jesus, there is no way to heaven. That's it. That's how it works. And I think that is the hope of our lives, not the sad part of how do we navigate all that. No, no, that's like, (laughs) that's our hope. That's what we live for (laughs) is what Jesus has done. And so Grayson and Beckham, I said, well, you know, boys, the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth, and we'll believe in our hearts and we make him Lord of our life, which means we get a vote, but his vote goes to the top, right? We get a, we get to we get to be a relationship with him, but but we're not just adding him into my life. We are now Jesus focused. He is the center of our lives. Um, if you would like to do that, I can help you. And they are like, Yes, help me. I wanna know, I wanna know this. And so I said, Okay. Pray this with me, Lord Jesus. And they're repeating after me. I know that I'm a sinful person. I know that I have fallen short of what you've asked of me to be with you. And I know that there's no way for me to be with you for all eternity unless I acknowledge and I receive what Jesus did on the cross. And so today, I ask you, Jesus, to come live inside of my heart, to heal me, to set me free, and I make you Lord and Savior of my life. I wanna live for you in Jesus' mighty name. And when we said that, I, as a parent, I was like, oh my gosh, boys, look what you did, Uh, seven and eight. And I am like hooping and hollering and Ben's rejoicing and the big boys come running in and I'm like, boys, Grayson and Beckham just received Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. This is such a big deal. And Grayson, Judah and Hudson are like, you know, my, my tween is like, oh, that's cool, you know. And, my, and Hudson's like, that's awesome. And I said, boys, would you like to explain to your little brothers when you received Christ and Hudson goes, well, mom, you, you prayed with me. And I said, I did. And I'm trying to remember this. I have too many children. And he goes, yeah, we were in the Walgreens parking lot when I was seven. And you prayed for me. Now, let me say something to you. Our kids remember these things. I was sitting on my dad's lap at six years old in Lake Tahoe. And my sister is sitting right next to me. And my dad is leading us to Christ. Exactly what I just did with my kids. I, he did with me when I was six, seven years old. So... It's the same thing. And I said, Judah, when did you? Well, dad actually prayed for me when I was going to bed one night in my bedroom. So sometimes we expect our kids to come to Christ when we are in church environments. And I would suggest and maybe even caution you that you don't wait for other people to lead your kids to Christ, but you disciple your own family. You lead them to Christ. You pray with them. Now, I never, ever, ever shoved it in their faces. I never was like, are you a Christian? Are you sure, do you wanna pray tonight? Are you sure? No, no, no. Part of the tension of being a great parent is letting that tension happen, allowing them to go through their process that they ask the questions when it's necessary. You know, I'm taking my kids to, to church, they're going to camp, they're having all these moments, and I still know that Grace and I Beckham haven't prayed the prayer. I know that as a parent. And instead of forcing them, do you wanna go up? Do you wanna go prayer? Do you want me to pray? No, no. I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting until finally they ask. And I, at times, will even, you know, well, what do you think about this? And they're like, da, da, da. You know, they talk about Superman. And I'm like, okay, that's not it. But there's a moment when you sense your kids are ready. And that is the moment where you lean in And you think, I can do this. So you have to get your theology correct, which is that God is fully perfect and we are not. And good works are never going to get us to heaven. And so what you want to do is create this chasm in the spiritual world where they understand the reason we need Jesus is because you need Jesus. And that really receiving Jesus is easy, it's fun, it's part of how we do life, but you got to understand what you're doing and you got to live for that. So I want to say this last thing. I want to talk about communion and baptism. Now, none of my children have taken communion or been baptized. My ages are 12, 11, eight, and seven. The reason that we have never baptized or given our kids communion is because I believe that those are rites rites of passage in our home. So I don't want my kids to do things that they're never going to understand And then when it's time, it's like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I want my kids to live in the tension of, I want to participate in this, but I need to have a heart and a public declaration of this. So when it comes to baptism, I was not baptized until I was 15 years old. And the reason I wasn't baptized was because biblically, and again, you can be baptized as a baby, that's that's on what your parents decide to do. But I'm talking about as your kids get older. Um, baptism was created to make a public declaration before God and before man that you are going to live as a Christ follower for the rest of your days. It also is a very um, important moment that we understand this i think about jesus he was the age of 12 when he made a declaration of i'm going to serve my father but jesus wasn't baptized until he was 30 years old so i think it's really important that we as parents don't rush our kids through sacred moments we don't push them to just check 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 but we allow them to mature in their faith and so the way that we do that is we wait until they're able to make a public declaration and they understand the cost of following Jesus. Boys, when you get up in front of your church community and you get baptized, you are saying to everyone around you, I'm now a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm not just taking the, the, the hope of like, hey, I'm saved, but I'm also experiencing that there's going to be persecution, there's going to be uh, hard stuff you're gonna face, but when I go down in the water, my old sinful man is going down, and now my new man, it's just symbolic, there's nothing that happens in the water, don't worry. It's not some weird water, you can do this in a pool or a lake, or that doesn't matter, the water doesn't matter. But the symbolism does matter, and the fact that we are dead, our old man is going in the water, it's being buried, and then we're coming out of the water, and we're coming into life. We're declaring to the world, we are now with Christ. We are now like baptized. So I would would recommend, my appeal to you would be, don't just let your kids get baptized for the sake of being baptized. Don't get so excited that you're like, we're gonna baptize them, take a picture, post it, and voila. But show your kids, boys or girls, if you're really serious about this, then in six months from now, we're gonna revisit this topic. And we're gonna see if this is something you wanna do publicly. And I want them to be able to acknowledge what it really means, why there's power in it, what the cost is gonna be, what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so really do that. Now, in terms of communion, another thing. There are certain churches where communion is served every week. Um, I've been in those churches. There are other places where our church specifically does it every quarter or maybe once a month. Um, And it's kind of like everyone just, just given communion. Now, growing up, I didn't have communion until I was eight years old. And I had communion when I was eight years old. I was in England and my dad was preaching. I'll never forget, it was this small church and there were all these wooden pews. And my dad was talking about what Jesus had done on the cross. And I remember as a little girl, I'd already received Christ a couple of years before that. But I am listening to my dad talk about the price. Of him dying and being drugged through the streets and dying between two um, you know uh, convicts and the thorn and I mean he's just describing the pain and the just the horrific death that Jesus paid and while he's teaching that I'm immediately gripped with the reality of what Jesus did and my sister and I begin to cry and this wasn't like mom and dad were coaxing us and we're in the back No, no we're in the back but there was the way he was preaching was bring to life what was really happening. And we began to weep and I'll never forget my mom and dad saying, you can take communion tonight. And we took communion and when I took that communion, it was real. Like I remember going, I know what Jesus did. Communion is symbolic to what Jesus has done. I don't think we should take it lightly. I don't think we should give it to our kids like a little snack during a service. I think communion is also, the Bible says, we shouldn't take communion. If you're not a believer, you should not take communion. The Bible's very clear about that. But also, we shouldn't take communion unless we understand what Jesus really did and the price that he paid, and it's a symbol for that. So my suggestion, these are not biblical rules. So, you know, this it's this according to Haviland, not according to the Bible, but this is my own thought and process for how I teach our family and how my husband and I work towards this salvation needs to happen when our kids finally understand what Jesus did and you have to wait for the timing and then lead them in that baptism and communion should not happen before they've received Christ Secondly, communion should only happen when your kids actually understand the gravity in which Jesus died and the price he paid and why we take the blood and why we take the body, the the bread and the wine and what that's about. So really, really be careful about that. Exactly. One of you is saying, communion, I was taught that you don't take it unless you are ready. I agree with that. And then thirdly, when it comes to baptism, I don't think your kids should... Be baptized until they're able to make a public declaration that they're gonna serve God but also they're gonna understand the cost of what it looks like to serve Christ and I personally think that their tween years and their teen years are going to need baptism like they're going to need that moment and if you give them communion and you give them baptism way early on then when they get to their teen years and they get to those places where they're becoming adults They won't have that kind of symbolization that allows them to to know what they're doing is serious. So my recommendation is that you hold off, you save some things, give your kids an opportunity to desire to do something that everybody else is doing. And that right there is gonna be critical to them growing in their walk with Christ. So, we are celebrating in our house today. Our kids, all four of them have finally accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. It has taken us seven years before all of this has happened. And I'm excited that we have this groundbreaking moment. Does that mean it's over? Heck no, it is not over. Now I get to disciple my kids, which means I'm gonna be reminding them of what Jesus did. We're gonna be looking for moments of communion. We're gonna be looking for moments of baptism. We'll be looking for missions movements they can do and, and giving their life to different things. We're gonna help them. I'm going to disciple my kids. That's part of being a godly parent. Is discipling my kids. And part of that is I'm gonna send my kids to youth group every single week because I cannot do this alone. And I need other people in my world to help me help me lead my kids to Christ. So we have a phenomenal youth pastor and a phenomenal junior high pastor. And guess what? My kids are going, they are never punished and never removed from youth group. I see a lot of parents will do this where they're like, you're not going to youth group because you're in trouble. That is the wrong thing to do. Don't punish your kids by removing them from places where Christ can actually speak to them. (laughs) You can remove media. You can remove friendship groups for a season. You can remove, you know, certain parties out elements. But don't remove them from church. Take them to church. Take them to, to those moments. Don't remove that. They need those moments. And if they're not consistent in youth group, they will not build friendships. And the goal is that um, you want your kids to look at church as a, as a fun place, not a place where they're like having to go every time and it's an awkward cocktail party. You want them to, to build friendship and connection. So send them to church. Make it good for them. and like I mean, my kids, they had a lock-in the other week, and we're like, let's go to the dollar store and get whatever candy you want. Who do you want to come over? How can we make this fun? Because we want church to be a place of fun, a place of, you know, mom and dad are always a yes when it comes to church. Mom and dad are always a yes when it comes to church environments. So that's how we do it. So I encourage you, parenting is not for the faint of heart. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Parenting is tough, 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 tough. I mean every single day I'm like, is this really my life? It's tough, but you have these moments and you can do this. Let's lead our kids to Christ. You can do this and disciple your kids. And if you don't know what to say, then you are responsible to figure out what you believe. You are responsible to learn so that you can communicate it and you're not shooting from the hip, but you actually are living it out loud. And if you haven't done it all right, You haven't done your parenting right, and you're afraid. Well, I'm afraid that if I try to teach them this, they're gonna think I'm a hypocrite. Well, if you're a hypocrite, then you should tell them that. Listen, mom has been acting like a hypocrite. I don't like that, I'm sad about that, but you know what, today, I'm changing. And I wanna ask your forgiveness for not representing Christ right. Will you please forgive me? I want to be, I'm still a kid in Christ, I'm still learning to follow him, and I wanna do that well. So one of the most powerful things you can do for your kids when it comes to serving Christ, and I understand this because my parents did this, ask for forgiveness. Ask forgiveness. If you haven't done it right, you want to do it right, you want to start over. Sometimes we'll even say to our kids, can we press the restart button? Can we just all like press the delete button together? That's not how we want to do that moment. Can we redo that moment? And we do that specifically in grade school. It's, a, it's an awesome opportunity. So. I hope this helps you. I I really do want to empower you to lead this. I know many of us don't just get to chase our dreams. We've got kids and life and bills and parents and all the things, we call us the sandwich generation. We've got our kids coming up, our parents are getting up, you know, needing us and we're in the sandwich moment, but you can do this. I will save this for sure so you can revisit this and hopefully pop it on the podcast. Lastly, I wanna ask, does anybody have any questions that I can answer? I know I didn't give you that moment, but I wanted to make sure that those that were listening had a moment to, um, to just hear what I was thinking. Yeah, you can receive the Lord at any age, at any age the Holy Spirit. Um, but again, you know, we're not rushing it. We're just giving them a moment. And little girls, to be honest, I think little girls might be a little faster in their development, my boys are a little slower in that, and so I had to kind of wait, um, but I've been around some little girls, and I'm like, wow, you're five years old, and I think you could handle all that I would want to give you, <laughs> so again, I got a house full of boys. How did you start the conversation with your boys? Um, you can read, make sure you watch this again, because I, I kind of explained that, but I, we were in bed, you know, I find that some of my best conversations with my boys are during bedtime. It's just something about bedtime is like my most anointed moments. And we started the conversation by talking about was Jesus in their heart and Grayson had brought something up that led that. Is it harmful for you? Were baptized before you're fully expecting Jesus even if you chose? No, not at all. Zoe, you, if that's what you did, guess what? Now that you know something different, you can do it again. You're allowed to get baptized once or twice or three times, how many times it takes to stick. But the goal is that if, if someone's counseling you to get get then i would wait and make sure we started a church and don't have youth yet um what can we do for our tweens take them to another church find a community in your in your city a church that your kids enjoy and take them there don't make it don't make them sacrifice their moment for you um, take them to a church that meets on a different converse, at a different time and just explain to them, boys, we want you to have friendships and connections that are your age. And so we're going to allow you to pick a church that we think is good. We obviously are going to be going to our church on Sundays because that's our family's church. But I want you to have a moment where you can meet other Christ followers. And so we're willing to do that. Um, um, you know what? I didn't explain God to my kids at 2. I read, I read Bible stories and i would talk about god as like like he's joyful and i mean remember we're setting characteristics of god to our kids so the goal when they're little one two three four i mean even to this point even up into this point with grayson who's seven he's never hearing hell and damnation he's not hearing you better obey or god's gonna get mad at you I, i'm not teaching any of that i'm like You have a good, good father, he loves you, he's got a purpose for your life, Uh, he made you, he created you before mommy even dreamed of you, he was dreaming about you. So I'm teaching them the the characteristic of God that he loves them, he's for them, and that he's got a purpose for their life. And I'm praying over them every single night. And I know you guys have, have questions, but I wanna say this, pray over your kids at night. Go in, I know it takes discipline. It is the worst time of parenting because you're like, finally I get to turn the lights off, send them to bed and have a moment to myself. I get that. It is the honestly the greatest sacrifice of my parenting these days. But go into their bedroom and, and pray over them. Tickle them, rub their head and say something like this, Lord Jesus, I thank you for my son or my daughter or my grandkid, whoever you got. And I ask that you would protect them mentally emotionally and spiritually all the days of their life that they would love and serve you i ask that you put a hedge protection around them that no weapon formed against them would come at them and prosper and i ask that they would know that they are called and they are chosen that your purpose for their life is incredible i thank you that they're called to be leaders i thank you that you've got a a plan for them And I thank you, God, that even if they feel far from you, you are never far from them. I ask that you give them a good night's sleep. Help me to be the parent that I need to be to raise them to know you. And give them a good night's sleep in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And so that's how we pray. How much do you stay home? I'm at home uh, most days. I go to work on Tuesdays and then I travel on the weekends. So that's kind of my advice for a grown daughter trying to help her severely mentally ill mother oh that is just tough you know what i'd say a support group i would say if you are in that stage right now where your mother is severely mentally ill you need a support group somebody that's going through it like you nobody will understand what you're going through no pastor no best friend no spouse is going to understand you need other people that are experiencing the same thing as you so you need to find a support group that you can meet with online or in your city and go find them Practical thoughts on how to help kids love church. We have a pastor, a church, a parent of four. Any practical tips? Like I said, I really think the goal is your kids are gonna love and hate church. I loved and hated church. It wasn't like, I just love church, it's my favorite place. No, no, I remember as a tween being like, I hate church, I don't wanna go again. But the goal is that you've got to build your, your kid's friend base there. That's the goal. So they're going for friends, they're not going for God. <laughs> They, they don't know it, they are going for God, but they're going for friends, they're going for community. So what I would recommend is try to get your kids a friend each that they love and you nurture that friendship. So every time they get dropped off at youth or they're at church, they have that friend that they've been waiting to see. Friends and peers are so important um, to your kids. So that's what I would do is look for that friend and be like, hey, you know what? Every Sunday after church they get to come over and that is a sacrifice. But as long as you're building that friendship, then when it's camp, then when it's lock-in, then when it's other things, they're like, I'm in, I wanna go because my friend is going. Choose a church that ministers to the whole family. They are pretty. I would say this, sometimes we get to do that. I was amazed when we started our church. We had so many families transfer to our church because we had something for youth and they were like, we want our kids to serve God. I think it's really important that yes, if, you want, if you're able to figure out how to go to a church where your kids, the whole family can enjoy it. I would do that. Sometimes we don't have that luxury. So, so I would say on Sunday we go together, but um, during the week you have your own youth group and we just honor you with that. Yeah. Working together, exactly. I have two little boys. Advice for mama to, uh, with two under two on setting them up for success. Honestly, Caitlin, this, the moment right now is to, to take care of yourself. Get a good night's sleep. Um, don't take yourself so seriously realize that you are in the thick of it it is the hardest season it will never be this hard again and don't take it so seriously i'd say the one thing i would do is set up some of your patterns like i pray for them at night or in the car we listen to worship music or um you know whatever it is but just set up some of those simple patterns maybe they go to sleep with worship music i don't know what you do but just these little patterns that allow the word to be around you but that's it i wouldn't do anything else what are some of the signs that are found that your kids are ready to listen to what the gospel is Uh, Six and a half and four and a half. Okay, excellent question. So I personally think that's a little early. I think four and a half and six and a half are early. What I would start to do is begin to read, read the Bible. We have a couple Bibles. I'll go through that. One of my boys' favorite Bibles right now is the Action Bible. That's like a huge one in our house and that sits on our breakfast table most days and they go through it. But the goal is that you want to get scripture in them, like the stories of Jesus and what he did. So when you they do talk about it, they'll have that kind of context of like, oh, when Jesus died on the cross, and oh yeah, when Jesus was born, and oh, when Jesus was rose from the get rose from the dead. So you're giving them that context, and then eventually you'll know it because you are anointed to teach your kids. Okay. So you're not gonna miss this moment because you're anointed for it. I'm shocked, all four boys had a moment. And I was like, are we really doing this? Like, am I even allowed to do this? I didn't know that this happens like this, but it really does. Your kids are gonna come to you and there'll be a moment when you'll know, oh yeah, this is it. So until then, just keep going. Um, I'm excited to speak in New England too, as well. Single film with no kids, this is super great, awesome. My kids don't want me to come in at bedtime anymore, so I pray over them each morning. Whatever works, whatever works. I don't know how old your kids are, um, but whatever works, do that. Oh, I love it. Let's see. This prayer. Awesome. I was taught as a child that I was going to hell if I took communion and I had sin in my life, but was made to feel ashamed. Right. If I couldn't participate in it. See, and that's what my concern is, is when we, when we put these values on communion or baptism or praying the prayer, and it's this, we, our own anxiety um, actually motivates us. And so that's my question to you as a parent. Is your anxiety motivating you to pray with your kid? Is your anxiety motivating you for them to take community because you're terrified they're not gonna make it to heaven? Why don't you calm down? Even God himself, the Bible says he knocks at the door and he waits. So we as parents, one of the best roles we can have as a parent is to learn to wait well, without anxiety, without fear, without, you know, what am I? I need to make this happen and just wait. And say, God, help me to know when it's time. And don't motivate by anxiety. If you motivate with anxiety, then that's what your kids are gonna have to have in order to stay in that in that moment. Well, I hope that really blessed your life. I hope that everything God was trying to get to you, you grabbed a hold of. Again, don't forget to give me a shout out on the socials. I'm there almost every day. And if this podcast really spoke to you, would you consider leaving a review so others can find this podcast? As well as some stars. I hope you have a great day, and I'll catch you next time.